Hello and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, the Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson. I'm joined, as always, on the other line by Anthony Chang, our Heat beat writer here at the Herald. Anthony, what's going on? What's up, David? I I don't have to talk that much this week. I have Barry Jackson here. Yeah, the so cheat code. I don't, I don't have this to. Week. I don't have to care talk, talk as much this week, which is good for the listeners. On the third <laughs> on the third line, we've got Barry Jackson, columnist at the Miami Herald, uh, scoop extraordinaire, scoopster extraordinaire. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, for deadline week, it was the perfect week to get him on. Um, we are, we should say, I guess we're recording this uh, Tuesday night. Obviously, the Heat play Wednesday, so uh, tough to squeeze it in on a game day. So if anything too crazy happens, maybe we'll come back and do a little addendum. If but if something smaller move happens that we don't get to, that's the reason why. Um, there was some news today though, uh, and I guess that's where we will start. Dwayne Dedman, uh, as we have expected, uh, gets traded ahead of the trade deadline, headed to San Antonio with the second round pick attached um, to basically just free up some, some cap space and a roster spot for the heat. Um, well, let's start there. What do you guys make of this move? It seems like obviously it's uh, might portend things to come for, for Miami. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe not. Right. And we'll get to that later in this episode, but yeah, I mean, it was an expected move. I feel like pretty much any, anybody covering the team kind of expected the heat to trade Dwayne Dedman at, in some capacity, it's before the deadline. Um, it create it just made sense in a lot of ways. It opened up an extra roster spot, so now they have two open roster spots instead of one. Um, and more importantly, it opened up an additional 4.7 million dollars um, below the tax line. So now they're four, they have 4.9 million dollars in room uh, below the tax line, where they can either take in more money than they send out in a trade. They could use it to convert Orlando Robinson two-way to a standard deal. They could use it in the buyout market. They can use it to sign a free agent that's out there that is not on a team right now. Um, so it just opens up a lot of avenues for the for the Heat to kind of add to their roster. Um, whether it happens in a trade before the deadline, I guess we'll see. Uh, but it, it just it was a move that made sense. Well, it was impressive, guys, that they found a team to take Deadman off their hands. And as Anthony said, they now have the extra flexibility under that tax line. In a perfect world, they would have been able to package him with another salary, be it Lowry, be it Duncan Robinson, to be able to get a player that now perhaps they might not be able to get without having that extra salary, which fell in that sweet spot of, of $5 million. I guess the challenge they have now, and we'll talk about this more, obviously, over the course of the episode, is you have two large contracts with Duncan – and with Kyle, but then if they cannot find a team who wants either player, then you're limited to basically six to seven million if you were to trade Struess or Vincent or Yurtsevin. And I think Vincent and Yurtsevin would be unlikely because they need him. Struess they ideally would like to keep. So you'd have about two million in money from them, plus another two million, a bit over two million for Jovic. You could throw in Haywood Highsmith, get to about six million. And as our listeners know, you need, if you're over the cap, and if you're dealing with a team that's over the cap, you need to send back salaries that are similar in value. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. But basically now, without having Deadman's $5 million to aggregate in a trade, you're limited to either finding a player earning something similar to what Duncan and Lowry are, with Lowry obviously on the high end of that, over $25 million, or you're limited to basically a player in the 2 to $6 million range because that's essentially all you have left if if you don't want to trade Caleb Martin, who we all know is a value 
contract and a helpful piece on your team. And if Victor Oladipo vetoes a trade, because Oladipo is also in that salary sweet spot of about nine million where you could ideally combine him with someone else, be it Highsmith, be it Struess, if you had to, to get a player in the 11 to a million dollar range. You can't do that with Vic unless he were to approve a trade because he has the right to veto one this year. So that's the only negative of the Deadman deal. But generally, it was a success because they found someone who actually would take Dwayne Deadman off their hands, which is, of course, extremely helpful. Are you surprised that they made this move then uh, with, you know, 48 hours to work with until the deadline that they didn't hang on to see if, if anything else came came to pass that's what i was going to ask barry actually and i've been thinking about this since the move was announced a few hours ago um was the dead like the dead man signing obviously did not work on court wise right as we all know um but the reason he was signed was to really trade that contract the way it was structured with a non-guarantee in the second year and you could argue it was to maybe package with a minimum salary to create more salary to bring back the deal like you were talking about is was that signing a failure even in that regard because you obviously didn't attach it to anybody and you had to give up a second round pick to get rid of it it was mm-hmm. a, definitely a minor failure it doesn't set him back yeah. ages but no. in retrospect and i wrote this at the time last summer instead of giving deadman a contract at four seven which left them up against the tax i would have instead spent the money on a couple of minimum guys i mentioned tj warren last summer of course Uh, We eventually came to find out that he did not return to the Nets until December because of the injury. He's been healthy, some injured, some, but he has helped the Nets when he's been available. So I wrote back in August that if I had been the Heat, instead of giving Deadman 4-7, I would have pursued two other players at the minimum, including T.J. Warren and somebody else. So, yes, it was a mistake in retrospect. Ultimately, though, it didn't cost him very much, just a second-round pick in 2028 to dump him. Unfortunately, you couldn't pair him with something else to get a player in that $10 million range. And and we'll talk about this during the course of the show, guys. But as you know, there are a bunch of players in that $10, $11 million range who would help them, like Dario Saric, we mentioned today, is a name on their radar. On their radar. Obviously, Kelly Olynyk. we've talked about him. Jay Crowder, of course, is the poster child for players in the $10 million range. Deadman's salary would have helped you get to that point. But it's pretty clear to me, tell me if you guys agree, that they must have concluded that we sure. cannot package Deadman with anything. That I'm sure they exhausted all opportunities for all of these fours that we've talked about, and they must have realized that it was of no value to them in achieving a trade. So ultimately, they gave Deadman to the one team that could absorb his salary, that had the space to do it, and was nice enough to do it as a favor for the Heat. Yeah, and, and to your point, Barry, you know, if they're going to do anything significant before the deadline, it really comes down to if they could trade Kyle or Duncan, right? Because they have, what, five minimum salaries on the roster. They have 13 players right now. Five of their minimum salaries. The sixth, Nikola Jovic, is a, a, rookie, a cheap rookie deal. Seventh is Tyler Hero, which we all know is very difficult to trade until July because of the poison pill. And then after that, like you said, it's Jimmy, Bam, very likely not going to get traded. And then Kyle Duncan and Victor has a right to power to veto a trade and Caleb Martin, which is probably not going to get traded because you need him. So if they're going to do anything significant, they're go- it's going to have to include Kyle or Duncan at this point. I mean, it's hard to envision another way for them to get um, a rotation player back in any trade. Yeah, I'm well, definitely, 
we'll definitely talk about Kyle uh, a little later on because you guys uh, wrote about him this week and where the Heat uh, kind of stands in viewing his future. Um, as far as how, how you, you know, obviously the, the, the talk always around the deadline is going to be about the stars available. And like as of this very moment, it doesn't seem like there are any, but obviously I think everyone is keeping an eye on, well, obviously the Nets, because you never know in Brooklyn. Um, I think Washington continuing to slide and obviously has, has already made uh, one move with Rui Hachimura. There's obviously some Beal. Um, you know, Damian Lillard remains kind of the white whale, but doesn't really does not seem like he is going anywhere. Um, as you guys mentioned, the Heat, you know, they have some valuable pieces. Some of those young minimum type guys are good, but I think probably better suited for like role players on contenders in a lot of ways. Um, so the, the real asset they have beyond those contracts, and I, I think Duncan still has some value even at that salary, uh, is the picks, the first round pick that they, you know, I think everyone, I think the the Heat fans who want to do something are, are probably willing to part with that pretty quickly, right? But what what do you guys sense would it would take for the Heat to move uh, move that piece? Does that require a major deal for a star or star adjacent player? Um, Barry and I have spoken a lot about this um, off camera, yes. off Skype, all that. But I, I you know, I. I, I see both sides of it, not to like play, not to have not, not to have a strong opinion. I'm, I, I, but I, I just I see both sides, but I think I would lean toward not giving up the first round pick this year unless it brought somebody significant. And by significant, I mean like a starter, like a, a starting a level play. Yeah, starter. Um, if it's a role player that can play as a seventh man, eighth man, or just gives you depth. I would not give a first round pick. And even as a starter, it has to be like a an above average starter, not just somebody you, you know, I don't know if an example off the top of my head, but not just like a fill in starter that you kind of uh, is maybe maybe better as a reserve, but you have to put him as a four because you have another option. You want to move Caleb back to the bench. It has to be like a, a above average quality starter uh, to give a first round pick because those are so valuable these days and you just don't know what's going to happen, right? This summer, whether it's Kevin Durant, whether it's LeBron James, whether it's Luca, right? Who knows how this Kyrie thing works out in Dallas? You know, the, for the Heat to stay in the game, they have to keep all their first-round picks. They just do. And you could argue that they can't put together a package that would get Kevin Durant, even if they kept their first-round pick, because they just don't have the assets to beat out other teams in that sweepstakes. But to have any type of chance... Um, you, you need to keep those those picks. And I would argue right now, it's just hard, as, as, much, as wide open as the East seems, it's just hard to envision a mid-level type of player swinging the Heat season right now. It, it just yeah. seems like the Heat aren't that, that close uh, to like Milwaukee or, or Boston. Yeah, and it does feel like the market is kind of totally out of whack right now. And it, probably a lot of it still goes back to the Gobert. Like when you hear about what the... Raptors want for OG and Anobi, and it's like multiple first round picks. It's like, is OG, I mean, I know OG and Anobi is a good yeah. player, but like he's not an all star. Um, like the, the the market for now, I think, is out of whack, where for a first round pick, you're probably not getting what you want 
Um, like the, the, the trade off right at this very moment is probably not as good as it will be. Um, well, certainly in the summer, um, I don't think. And, you know, just the further away we get from that go bear trade that really like threw off the market, I think. The, the heat us off the, I just ask themselves, like, if it's like, for example, OG, you brought up, if you're yeah. going to do a deal like that, they have to be, they have to be pretty sure that that's the missing piece, right? That's going to, yeah, right, that's the top. move. That's the thing with whatever trade you, you yeah. use, that's kind of the move. Barry, what, what do you think? Well, the first round pick is an interesting question. Anthony and I were talking about this off air today, as he mentioned, and here was a thought that came to my mind, which now has me leaning toward being willing to offer a first round pick. If you look at the stars available this summer, potentially, say you don't trade a first round pick and then that would leave you with three available to trade this summer Mm -hmm. instead of two. Would you reasonably think you'd be able to get Kevin Durant for a package of three first round picks, Tyler Hero and Cap Filler? If you come to the conclusion that Brooklyn would not take that offer and that they'd get better offers like Jalen Brown, among others, potentially, then I don't necessarily see the necessity to keep that third first round pick available. If you do that exercise with other players who might be available this summer, Zach Levine, is he worth three number ones in Europe? I don't think so. I certainly wouldn't do that. Damian Lillard, if he should ask for a trade, would three number ones and hero be trumped by someone else conceivably? So even though obviously it's better to have three first round picks as commodities to trade, I just don't know if you apply it to the players who potentially could be available this summer if it ultimately gets you that player unless here is the big unless unless the Heat should surprisingly make Jimmy Butler available this summer for a Kevin Durant type. Obviously, there are very few players you'd ever consider trading Jimmy for. But if the Heat surprisingly were to do that, then there is value in keeping that third first round pick because it might be needed Butler three number ones for Durant and something else, be it Joe Harris, something obviously you'd need uh, filler in there as well. But if you're keeping the picks with the thinking that you could get Kevin Durant merely for a package built around Tyler Hero, Nikola Jovic, whatever else you want to throw in there, I think you're probably kidding yourself. And that's no disrespect to Tyler, who's a quality NBA starting two guard. He's averaging 21 a game, but it's just acknowledging that they're going to be better offers, whether it's from Boston with Jalen Brown, whether it's from Denver, if they don't win a championship, make Michael Porter and others available. So as I went through that thinking today with Anthony on the phone, I came to the conclusion that holding on to that extra number one, I don't think is as valuable as it might seem on the surface. So just to wrap this up, if you can move Lowry's contract, say, for example, to the Clippers and get two players who would be helpful Norman Powell, who's obviously 17, 18 point a game score, shoots high from three, maybe a second piece, whether it's Robert Covington, Kennard, uh, maybe Reggie Jackson's an expiring deal. If it allows you to move off the Lowry money, I would consider a first in that scenario because you're addressing shooting, obviously, whether it's with Powell or Kennard, two guys who are shooting 39, 40 percent on threes, and you're ideally getting a player who can play four as well. So if you sacrifice a number one, you'll still have two number ones you can trade this summer if you free up the OKC pick, which would require uh, loosening the protections on that and making it non-lottery protected. So that that's how my thinking has changed, guys, on this. I now am not as married to holding on to three number ones as I was before I started giving this more thought. Yeah, that's a good point because it does feel like the Heat has kind of been hanging on to those 
basically since the Lowry trade, like they've been hanging on and trying to find that one last piece. And it's, it's hard to find when everyone's looking for it, obviously. But, you know, you also think of the Heat as this franchise that people want to come play for. Um, and obviously it worked for them, like with Jimmy Butler. But Jimmy Butler was a free agent that offseason, and they traded. It was a signing trade. Like, there, there's only so many guys. I guess Beal is really the one guy because he has the full no-trade clause where, like, he could basically force his way to Miami. Um, we've seen Brooklyn with the way that the trade stuff was happening over the summer. They were not, like, kowtowing to whatever. Obviously, they ended up hanging on to him, but they were not just going to do whatever he wanted. They were going to look for the best offer. So it does make it a little bit trickier for the Heat than it has been in past years. And one point I want to make off that, I think what's hurt the Heat more than anything, besides having $45 million spent this year on players who are not helping you with Larry and Robinson, really, the, the other problem is pretty basic, which we all know. They need a superstar to say, I want to come to Miami. Yeah, and it hasn't yeah. happened since Jimmy Butler. If yeah. Durant had said that, and if he had really held firm on his trade request, then obviously there'd be a decent chance Durant would be here. Uh, but he was happy going to Phoenix. That was every bit as much his preference as mm-hmm. Miami and other teams. So what's killed the Heat is they have not had a star who has said, trade me to Miami. If they had that, then all of our problems would probably be solved. Yeah, they have a very good track record of getting players who want to be in Miami to come to Miami. Even, you know, obviously Oladipo, Kyle Lowry. Like like you said, Jimmy's the last star, but it just hasn't happened uh, in the last couple of years. Beal has been that guy for years. Right, he's been like the one people have been pining for pretty much since the honest thing fell through, right? It was like Beal's coming eventually, or, or Lillard is the other one, right? But so far, neither of those guys have... Um, obviously they're not going to, they're never going to say it outright. Um, but even like the people who are close to them and report on them have not let that trickle out. Yeah. Barry makes a very solid point and I, I could, I agree with it to a certain extent. You know, I've, I've kind of held firm and I guess I'm being stubborn with the fact that I don't want to trade the pick, but he makes a good point where it's going to be hard for the heat to win the Durant pursuit with an offer headline by Tyler Hero. Again, Tyler Hero is very, very good, but there's going to be, I mean, every, uh, what, every player except maybe 10 in the NBA are going to be on the table for Kevin Durant, right? Like, there's going to be so much competition for him that you might hold on to those picks and that might never come, chances are it won't come to fruition. So, mm-hmm. if you have a chance to make a trade that can make you, that you think can, kind of take you this team to the next level and really give you a chance in the East. You know, maybe you do give up this year's pick, but I still would be, after that, I would definitely be very um, careful about dealing any more uh, picks for the next, past this summer. Yeah, to me, I, I think that whatever move you make, if you give that first round pick up, because I, I think we all agree, they're the East feels open, but they're a step behind Milwaukee and, and Boston right now. Although they've yeah. gone really, you know, they've played really well head-to-head against uh, Boston in particular this year. Um, you don't want to trade a first-round pick for a guy who's just going to help you this year be slightly better and lose in the East Finals or whatever, right? Um, or lose in the second round. You, I, if you're giving up a first-round pick, it's got to be someone who you think is helping you this year, but also helping uh, as you move forward. Because this is not just a one-year... It's not like this is the end of the, the road for this group. It's They've got to... You know, until Jimmy Butler uh, slows down and you know, not really showing any signs of it right now. You've got a window here that that spans multiple years. And also one problem you have is 
you you no longer just have one need. You no longer just have the need for a four, which we all knew coming into the season was going to be an issue. We also have what's turned out to be a major surprise, the need for more shooting. Shooting, None of us expected after they led the league in three-point shooting that they would be one of the worst shooting teams in the league. So now not only do they need a four, who ideally could back up Bam and play with him when Caleb is on the bench, but also someone who can shoot well, it might not necessarily be the same player. And if Lowry is going to be out a considerable amount of time in the second half or remain as ineffective as he has, you probably need another point guard as well. So all of these needs they have, uh, they couldn't have anticipated. They they viewed themselves probably as one piece away, and it's clear that unless the piece is a superstar who they're not about to get, then they're multiple pieces away from being on the yeah. Boston Milwaukee level, at least in my view. Sure. Yeah, they need they need a, a four either to start or back up Caleb, and they they need a backup five, right? To at this point, Orlando Robinson has played well and he's kind of stabilized that in that role. But ideally, in a perfect world, you have a more experienced option at that spot, um, especially in the playoffs. Um, they need shooting, like Barry said. They might, you know. Can, who knows what's going to happen with Kyle, right? We don't know the timetable when he'll return. He's off the next three games. Um, the stats after that kind of in question. Uh, so they might need a point guard, right? I mean, it's just this team has so many needs, which, again, is another, like, factor in all this that the Heat front office has to think about is, like, what move is worth making here, right? Is it worth to trade a first-round pick just to get off a salary, do we think we're close enough where we could fill a couple of those needs maybe with one guy or two guys and we could use that pick and attach it to Kyle or another player on the roster? We could fill some of those needs and get considerably better. Um, it's tough. You know, it's they're on a clock right now and they have to make that call. Um, and it's not an easy one because, again, it, there is so much parity and you could you could argue the Heat aren't far away. I, I wouldn't make that argument, but. You could argue that they're they're closer than maybe it, it it seems right now. And also the question is, if you cannot move Lowry or Duncan without trading a first round pick as a carrot. Yeah. And if you determine that you don't want to trade a first round pick as a carrot, then you have such limited assets in terms of salary to get the players we talked about. So then the question becomes this. Do you just begrudgingly punt on the season, something they would yeah. never admit publicly, no. and just say, well, we'll stay the course with this group. We'll see if we get a favorable first-round matchup against Cleveland or maybe Brooklyn. If they're diminished now, hope to get into the second round and then reassess our team and do something significant this summer. They might begrudgingly have to do that unless they can miraculously move off the Lowry or Robinson contracts without giving up a first-round pick. And, of course, Andy Ellsberg is a magician. Uh, we've seen, obviously, the moves that, that Riley has made to make this team a champion three times and a, per, a perennial contender for the most part. But if they can trade Lowry or Robinson's money without having to give up a first-round pick for a deal, at least one of which is expiring, or for a rotation player, then that would truly be an achievement because of, A, Lowry's diminished production, B, the fact he's on $29 million next year, See the fact that he has a knee injury says he's out indefinitely uh, and four, obviously, because Duncan has three and a half years remaining on a contract uh, that's worth 90 million, of which 80 million is guaranteed. So if they can move either player without giving up a first round pick, that would be impressive. That's the uphill challenge they're facing over the next day. 
Let's dive into the Lowry uh, situation. You guys wrote about it this week, um, obviously. And Barry, you, you talked to him, I think, out on the road trip, too, just kind of getting him to talk about you know the situation where he you know kind of knows that he's in some of these potentially down the road, maybe as soon as this week, maybe later on, potential uh, trade chip here. Uh, what is the latest as we talk now, uh, you know, about 48 hours out, less than 48 hours from the trade deadline? Yeah, well, Barry and I both reported about two or three weeks ago that the Heat were weren't looking to trade Kyle Lowry um, and felt pretty strongly about that. But since then, we both heard that that softened a bit. Um, they're open to trading him at this point. Um if there's a deal that makes sense, right? Uh, you know, things have changed in the last three weeks. Kyle has been kind of up and down all year, but like, he hasn't played in four of the last five fourth quarters that he's been available for. He has not. He did not have a good month of January. Um, the Heat have been winning really over the last month without much contributions from him. So things have changed. Um, we all know the Heat's uh, tax situation next year. And if they can find a way to get off that money, right, it would make sense, uh, make a lot of sense, right, where, where they either lowers the tax bill a little bit and also gives them flexibility to maybe bring back Max Strews, bring back um, Gabe Vincent, Omar Yurtsev, and just a, or a combination of those guys uh, using their bird rights. So, you know, that, that's kind of the latest, what we, you know, what we've heard, that they're, they're open to trade him if if there's a deal that makes sense out there. Now, Lowry's handled this professionally in terms of everything he said publicly. is not complained at all about not playing in the fourth quarter. But there is a potential really awkward landmine that looms that cannot be ruled out, and, that, and that's this. If the Heat plays really well with Vincent starting over the next couple of weeks, we know he's going to be out, Lowry, at least three games, possibly into the All-Star break, which would be four games. That wouldn't surprise any of us, obviously. And the Heat plays well in those four games. Does Eric Spolstra, who has always put the team first, but has always been incredibly deferential to Lowry, does he make that incredibly difficult and awkward move to tell Kyle Lowry, I don't care that you've started 600-plus consecutive games. I don't care that you have borderline Hall of Fame credentials. You are coming off the bench. And does Kyle Lowry accept that? Or does Spolstra throw up his arms and say, I can't be the one to bench Kyle Lowry. I know we're playing well with Gabe Vinton starting. We have to put Kyle back in the starting lineup because he is Kyle Lowry, but we'll just continue to sit him in the fourth quarter, which I'm sure is uncomfortable for Kyle. But at least it doesn't come with the stigma of being removed as a starting NBA player. And all three of us know that Kyle Lowry is an immensely proud player has had a distinguished, decorated career, six-time All-Star. Does Eric Spolster, who has made some very difficult decisions putting the team first in his career, make the ultimate difficult one in telling Kyle Lowry, you are no longer an NBA starter on our team? Now, this becomes an issue only if they don't move him this week and if the team plays well with Gabe Vincent starting. That group of Vincent and the other four starters uh, was decent against Milwaukee, outscored by eight the other night, but... There are plus 17 and very limited minutes together this season. So I'll be interested to see Vincent with the other four starters over the next four games, guys. Yeah. And I mean, to that question, Barry, like all Eric Spolstra has to do is say, Goran Dragic before you played as a six man, right? Dwayne mm-hmm. Wade, the best player in franchise history, played as a six man. Um, 
I'm not saying that's going to make it easier for Kyle or that would make him happy or, uh, you know, make him cooperative to that. We don't know. Right. But there are examples, very recent examples of players uh, comparable to, to Kyle, you know, better than Kyle, Dwayne Wade, right. Is that a, one of the best shooting guards in NBA history um, that have taken on that role and kind of flourish. So the, Eric Spolcher could use that angle to kind of convince him, um, but we'll see. You know, right now we don't even know when Kyle's going to come back. We don't know, mm-hmm. you know, what's going to happen at the trade deadline. There are so many questions to be, you know, that need to be answered before we even get to that point. And Duncan's would, finger also wanted to point that yeah. out. Even though obviously there's interest in moving off that contract, uh, there's no indication that he's imminently going to play. So moving that deal becomes even more difficult. They're in a very tough spot. <laughs> yeah. And yes, you can say they created this because they signed Duncan to a deal. But I think most people at the time probably thought that that was an yeah. understandable move because he was shooting threes at an historic rate the previous two years. And obviously the decision which they would do over is Kyle. If they had just picked the best available Kentucky player, right, at Tyrese Maxey's, Anthony and I have, have talked about it. I've made this point, obviously, to you repeatedly, and then developed Maxey instead of drafting Precious, not done the Lowry trade. Obviously, it's the ultimate second guess, but when you continue to invest in older players, their bodies are going to break down, and in some cases, you're going to regret those moves. And most of the older player investments that Pat Riley have made uh, has made over the years, uh, the majority of them have worked out. But this is a case of one not working out and obviously one they'd like to do over. So what would a potential, like a Kyle Lowry move look like, do you guys think? Would it have, would it, because obviously it's a big contract, like the, the kind of the appeal of, of that contract at this point is like, it makes salaries match if you're trying to get um, a really good player um, who's getting paid that kind of money. Is that the only way that this happens? Like, like what, what are the potential Lowry paths forward here in terms of a trade as we look? Like, let's say specifically this week, obviously it could, it'll be different if it gets to the summer. But, but for this week, if he gets traded, what does that move look like? Yeah, it would have to be salaries in the 24 to 30 million range coming back to Miami. There's not a team left with cap space to absorb that kind of right. salary. Uh, and so you'd be looking at a team that wants a veteran floor leader, someone who accepts the fact that his knee might require him to miss a handful of games at a time, someone who values his leadership, his voice, his ability to still run an offense effectively, get a team into offense, and someone who thinks that maybe change of scenery will restore his shooting to past levels where he was a 44%, 38% guy on threes as opposed to now where he's just below 40%. 33% on threes. That's a lot to ask a team to conclude. And the only team publicly linked to Lowry so far, as, as everyone knows, has been the Clippers. I was told that there was at least one other team who has inquired about him. I don't know who that team is. But with the Clippers, it's an easy match from a salary cap standpoint. Just taking two salaries among Robert Covington, Luke Kennard, Norman Powell. Uh, they have about five guys who, if you have any combination of those two, would work for Lowry. The question is, what would be the incentive for the Clippers to do it at this point? Because of Lowry's health, they've been starting Terrence Mann at point guard. He's been adequate. He's obviously a different player from Lowry. The John Wall experiment has not worked out for them, even though he's still averaging 10 a game. So the question is, if the Clippers are unable to get Mike Conley, which will require a lot more inventory than getting Lowry, 
Uh, if they're unable to get Fred Van Vliet, it would require probably multiple first round picks. Do they say we're good with Terrence Mann uh, or do they say we feel like pairing Lowry with Kawhi again? And uh, obviously, Paul George gives us a better chance to win a championship. To me, that's that's what it come down, comes down to in terms of their ability to move Lowry. And I mean, if the Heat put in that carry of a first round pick, right, in that type of deal. Right. The Clippers can say we could either give up picks to get Conley or we could get Kyle and get a first round pick back, you know, first round pick as well. So, again, to that going back to what we were just talking about, that's where the first round pick could come Mm -hmm. in handy, where, you know, it could get the Clippers to consider that type of deal. Um, And, yeah, it would feel like, you know, any of those two players would help the heat. Right. Like Luke Kennard shooting. Robert Covington's versatility. Yeah, those are, for the most part, pretty um, good players you listed off. I know Covington's kind of polarizing, but, yeah. I know, you know, Kennard, as we mentioned, they really need a shooter, and there's not many better than Kennard in, in the NBA right, right. now. I doubt they'd move Marcus Morris. Obviously, with, with Powell, he's owed between 18 and 21 each of the next three years, but that's a 17, 18-point-a-game guy who shoots 39 or 40% yeah. on threes. Uh, so that's something that, even though you're absorbing some salary, would be would be interesting to me. And uh, also, I think in that mix, you would include Nick Batum. He's in that soft salary spot where Batum and one of those other players, Covington, Kennard, Powell would work. So would Reggie Jackson, who's on an expiring. Now, the Clippers signed Reggie Jackson thinking he would be a point guard this Mm -hmm. year, but they haven't been happy with him. He's had an okay year, not a great year. And so they've moved to Terrence Mann at point guard. So the Heat's ability to move Lowry could ultimately come down to, as Anthony said, maybe throwing in a first round pick. And does Clippers brass believe that if they can't get Mike Connolly, if they can't get Fred Van Vliet, does Kyle Lowry, uh, reunited with Kawhi Leonard, give us a better chance to make the NBA Finals than a Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann point guard combo? So let's uh, we're getting a little long here, so let's let's just kind of wrap things up. What are the predictions going into to this weekend? I, I'm not asking you to guess what who who the Heat's trading, who they're trading for, but What's the course of action both of you guys think is most likely uh, as we get into deadline day? I, I think they will obviously explore a lot of different possibilities. I think um, trading Kyle Lowry is an avenue they'll explore as well, right? Like we just talked about, for mm-hmm. it makes sense for a lot of different reasons. Um, I think there's two open roster spots. One of them will probably go to Orlando Robinson as far as converting his two-way deal to a standard contract. So then you have one left and you have that room under the tax. So I, I, my prediction is they don't make another trade, which I know is not going to make fans happy. I just think <laughs> it's going to be tough to trade uh, Kyle at this point with what's going on with his knee. I think it's going to be tough to trade Duncan with his finger injury. And then after that, like we said, there aren't many salaries that can get you much. Um, so my prediction is they don't really make another trade and they sign somebody, whether it's a buyout or a free agent, to round out the roster after converting Orlando Robinson um, to a standard deal. And in regard to Kyle, Barry and I have spoken about this as well. You can make the argument he'll be more valuable in the summer, right? Where that salary obviously is a big one. It'll be expiring. Um, so that makes him even more valuable than a guy like Duncan Robinson, who still has years left on his contract. Kyle will be expiring at that point. He could be a more valuable trade chip come June, July, or even into next season. Anthony, that prediction is not going in the headline. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry about that. I wish I could come up with something more exciting, but uh, I'm not, you know, I'm boring. So. Fair, what do you think? <laughs> I'll quickly wrap up by saying 
I know they're determined to get another four like they did with Crowder, which worked out mm-hmm. like uh, Riza, obviously, or, yeah. you know, the, the one that didn't work out with the, with Ariza a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't know the path with Deadman's salary out of the mix, because as we let off this podcast by saying, how do you get to that 10, 11 million dollar range? Then you're talking about Struess and Vincent and right. Highsmith and Yovic, and it just leaves with too many open roster spots. I was going to say, you, you already have two open someone. roster spots. Yeah, right. Yeah. Unless you can find someone in the smaller salary range like Jared Vanderbilt, uh, like McDaniels from Charlotte, who's only at one point eight million. So that would work if exchanged for a Struth or a Highsmith. Uh, but the salary issue is the one that makes this difficult to see them achieving something, even though they really want another yeah. four to share power forward with uh, with Caleb Martin. I do think they'll make every effort to move Lowry uh, before the deadline, whether it's successful. Who knows? It's going to be a fascinating next day. Do you guys have a favorite guy in that like Jared Vanderbilt class of the, the guy who they theoretically could get um, without – like needing to shed half of their roster, basically. I think it is Jared Vanderbilt. Yeah, actually. Vanderbilt like, seems like the popular one yeah. these days. And he's gonna the, the problem for the Heat is he is gonna be in demand, right? And it's yeah, like he might cost you that first round pick. <laughs> exactly, and then the, that's another question: Do you is he worth that first round pick? So he that's not gonna be an easy one to get to land. Um, but I, I he would be my the one I would point to as the, my favorite one that's the best fit for what the you know what this team needs, what it's looking for. And I'd be fine with uh, with Sarich, who I threw out today. Yep. Obviously, he's played for Phoenix and Philly, but the nine million salary is problematic from a cap standpoint. Olinick, obviously, Olenek has done yeah. that, but you're yeah. comfortable with him. He has a skill that would be helpful. So I would say those two, uh, a big who can score and who's actually big, right? Who can play mm-hmm. center? Not one of these six five power forwards that mm-hmm. they've continued to bring in over the past few years, but someone in the six ten to seven foot range. Uh, who can shoot? You're you're not going to get someone like that who's a great defender as well, because right. those guys aren't being traded. So you just settle for the size, adequate rebounding. Yeah, you're looking shooting. for two out of three, right? Sense. Out of the shooting, size, defense. Like you're 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 not ticking all the boxes, or you're trying to trade for Kevin Durant. Exactly. Basically, so. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, but that's the problem, right? Like Kelly Linick would be a great fit. Uh, yeah. But twelve point eight million, it's just tough. It's, it's a lot. Just tough yeah. for the Heat to get there uh, with the contracts they have left to trade. Yeah. All right, uh, we can close things out there. Um, as Barry said, it'll be a very interesting next uh, – well, by the time people are listening to this, I guess it'll just be about, uh, I don't know, 10 hours until the deadline, depending on when you listen to this. Um, he and obviously will play Wednesday night. Um, as I said, if something crazy happens, we'll be back. But uh, if not, uh, you can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony underscore Chang. Follow him throughout the day for deadline updates um, and reactions, obviously, to anything that goes down. Uh, follow Barry Jackson on Twitter at FLA Sports Buzz. Um, same deal. He'll be on, on top of everything here on deadline day um, and moving forward as we see um, how the balance of power shifts in the Eastern Conference. We didn't mention Kyrie Irving once. I guess maybe we should end there because that obviously doesn't matter specifically for the Heat, but him leaving the East, uh, how did, do you think that changes the Heat's calculus at all going into, into this trade deadline? Another team that has been ahead of them in the standings all year, looked like a title contender for a while there until Kevin Durant got, when Kevin Durant has been healthy, has looked like a title contender. Do you think that move changes the Heat's thoughts about how open the East might be? Uh, 
No, because I still think Brooklyn and Milwaukee are the two teams they, they yeah. consider it as like in Boston, Milwaukee. Yeah. In Boston, Milwaukee as like the, the top of the East, right? And Brooklyn was, like you said, they were on a little run there with Kevin Durant and Kyrie when they were both healthy. Um, but I, I still think as as long as Boston and Milwaukee are intact, um, it's just tough, right, for any other team to convince themselves that they could truly kind of win a series against one of those teams, um, unless they make a significant upgrade in the next in the next few days. And I'll add this one quick point. I think what it does do is it makes you even more motivated to get to five. Because if you get yeah. to five, yeah. you're going to have a winnable first round series against yeah. a Brooklyn team with only one superstar or a Cleveland team that's a good team but lacks deep playoff experience. Yeah, first first year already there, seen the Heat beat Cleveland there last Tuesday night. So I would be now even more motivated to get to five because that gives you a legitimate chance to at least get to round two. I know Heat fans aren't going to be uh, placated by merely going to round two, but frankly, that would be as good as it gets this year. I love how we're all still overlooking Philly, right? Like nobody, I know, Philly, they've been like the best team in the, in the East yeah. for like the last two months, basically. But um, but third is I, likely for them now, if not yeah. two. Yeah. With not two, I mean, yeah. I think they're, you know, but they're going to be, I think, as aggressive as anyone at this deadline, right? That, that That's the other problem is the Heat. As aggressive as they can be, Philly is probably going to be even more aggressive. One, because of Daryl Morey. Two, because there's like kind of a desperation factor, I think, there, right? They haven't been uh, to a conference finals with this group. Like they're they're trying to get over the hump finally. So, um, yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces, I think, um, in, with those teams kind of right ahead of them in the East. That'll, that'll make the deadline, even if the Heat, like you said, maybe stands pat. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, Anyway, uh, thanks as always for listening, um, and we will talk to you guys next week.